This podcast is sponsored by Pet Plan, who are the UK's number one pet insurer. I've always used Pet Plan for Raymond as they cover things other insurers don't and they can even pay your vet directly, which can be a big help. No, Raymond, that doesn't mean you can spend all the extra cash on treats. Terms, conditions and excesses apply. Pet Plan is a trading name of Allianz Insurance PLC. Welcome to part two of Walking the Dog with Lee Mack, or as I call it, he's back. And this time it's personal because Raymond just weed on Lee's floorboards. Just to recap, we're in Lee's study because it was seriously raining and Ray's got a statement hairdo to consider. In part two of our chat, there's a lot of Lee Mack gold coming up. I mean, let's face it, when isn't there? But it was also really lovely hearing him talk about his friendship with the late Sean Lott, which will make you laugh and cry all at once. I should also say, in case you're listening with kids nearby, there's some pretty strong language right at the end, so I just wanted to give you a heads up. I so hope you enjoy it. And do go and see Lee in his brilliant West End play, The Unfriend. It's on at London's Wyndham's Theatre until March 2024. You can book tickets via theunfriend.com. OK, so we're going to pick up the convo with Lee chatting about something he knows a fair bit about, comedy. I'll hand over to the man himself. Here's part two with Lee and Ludo and Tilly. And Raymond. For me, what comedy is about, both in the real world, certainly what I was like when I was younger, and then professionally, is to find your gang. So when I was at parties, I used to think, right, I I was a very skinny lad, not very, uh, never knew no good from bad. Oh no, that was a Queen song. Uh, But I was a very... (laughs) No, but I was a skinny little lad and big, lanky, greasy. I never got, never got girlfriends at school, anything like that. So Did when you I, not? I had a girlfriend once, I think, at school, but I, I was just very underdeveloped. I was a late developer. I really was. I was, you know, I was the kid in the shower going, oh, God, they've all got pubic hair and I'm still yet to go. I was very, I was very, I looked like the kids from Kez, you know, in the background of Kez, the movie. And I went from a, from a school in uh, Blackburn, which is a very, like, you know, industrial working class town, and then moved to school in Southport. And in, in Blackburn, honest to God, I was, I was like the average height. And I went to Southport, where it was near the, near the fresh air of the coast, and much more affluent. Mm. Um, and suddenly I was the second smallest kid in the year. And it was like Kez. It was like all those wretches of kids that look like they'd just come out of the, the mines. I may have even have coal on my face. That's how I imagine it in my head. It's probably not true. It's probably just dirt. Everyone was dirty in the 70s, weren't they? You know, I, I, all I had really was hopefully trying to make them laugh. That's what I used to do. So I remember going to loads of parties between about the age of 15 and my early 20s being at loads of parties, and, and what I'd do is I'd think, oh, she's, she's nice, that girl, and I was chat, I'd chat to them and think, oh, yeah, she's nice, I'd like, I'd like to get to know her better, so I'd immediately do the thing where I'd be... I say do the thing, I have to be honest, it's never been a performance mode, it's just... The, what I mean is, I'll just carry on being who I am, but to her face, is what I mean. You know, when people say to me, oh, you're never off, I get annoyed with that phrase, because it suggests that you've flicked something, or, I'll do that thing, when... You know, this is, this. I'm like, I talk like this when I'm on my own, to myself. I'll do that thing, you know that trick where you trip yourself up to get a laugh by kicking the back of your heels? There's not many people that do that when they're on their own. I do that on my own. And then I'll do that thing when I look behind as if I've tripped up on something. All right, so I would do the thing, chat, blah, 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 and realise straight away, within minutes, 
she has not got the same sense of humour as me. I'm not trying to find out if she's if she's finding me funny. I'm trying to find out if she's got the same sense of humour as me. And and if they have, I'm like, right, this is it. I've got a chance here because I can play on this. I know I can do this. And I, there was nothing more satisfying to me than if I was slightly holding court to about six or seven people and three or four of them were laughing and the other ones were absolutely just hating me because it was an instant gang thing. You go, great. I'd rather have them really go, you're not funny, mate. Because go, great, that's saved me so much time. Saved me the whole hour where I try and find out if we've got the same sense. You've just told me, brilliant. So right, you can go. Now, it's like guess who? I was flipping them down, going, right, we're down to you three now. <laughs> Until there was one left. And so that, to me, was what it's about. It's about getting a, a gang. You, you say something funny, and you're trying to find out who's got the same sense of humour as you. That's why it's never bothered me who's the one being funny and who's the one laughing. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You're just, you're all on the same wavelength. That's all that matters. And so... That's why it's important to get really bad reviews. Because if you only got good reviews, you're not finding your gang. You just, your gang's too big. I like to isolate them and go, right, who's in my gang? Let's find out. Who's that, in your gang then? Well, at the moment, I think there's, in the country, there's about 27 people that like me. <laughs> I've worked it out. I've counted the reviews, worked out the average. <laughs> I reckon I'm up to 27 now, which is not bad in a 25-year career, is it? Admittedly, a lot of them are my family members who have been kind. But you, you are, when you walk into a room, I think people do gravitate towards you because you're, I think there is, a, you've got that norm from Cheers energy that, oh, Lee's here. I don't, I don't, didn't really watch Cheers. Which one was Norm? Norm with the Tash? He was the large one. Thank you. <laughs> Not necessary. No, but you. Was he the one that used to go, oh yeah, I've had a, <laughs> had a terrible day, obviously. The personal assistant, I used to say secretary, she's left. I've, I had to watch her video. You've got to call on PAs now. We're too late. I've already upset her. So she's gone. She was spreading rumours about me anyway. So I'm not no, sure. but you have, I think you have that energy. Your energy when you come into a room is, it's a very positive energy. I think people do gravitate towards you and they think, oh, Lee's here. I always feel, oh, the party's going to start now. If you arrive. Oh, that's nice. I mean, I don't feel that way, if I'm going to be honest. I just, I don't. I mean, that used to be literally true because I was a mobile DJ. <laughs> Genuinely, I was a mobile DJ. So they used to you go... You could have used that on your drop. They didn't say Lee. They used to go, oh, he's here now. The party, the party's started. <laughs> Which was true. Right. Because up until then, there, there was nobody shouting, you know, all the, all the single ladies give us a cheer. But now the party has started, hasn't it? <laughs> but, but, yeah, I... I were you very just, popular then when you were at school then? No, I wasn't. Listen, I was neither. I wasn't the bullied kid, but nor was I the... The, the big part, I mean, we were in a gang that we, we again, it's probably sense, sense of humour, even though it wasn't deliberate back then, but I can't imagine ever having a friend. I don't think I've ever had a friend that's not got, it doesn't have to be exactly the same sense of humour, but I'll tell you what, we've got to have some sense of humour. I don't, I don't think I know anybody that hasn't got a sense of humour because I just I gravitate away from them. Like they would gravitate away from me, probably. I know, but I don't think I could be friends with someone who was just, relentlessly making all the jokes all, all the time and there was no soul there or you know those people yeah and, but that's about the thing of switching it on isn't it this idea yeah. that you know you, yeah I've never this is how I was brought up like this my mum and dad talked like this all the time this is how well this is how we would communicate there isn't a photograph of my mum that she, she hasn't got the cigarette up her nose and her teeth out I because, love the sound of your mum. Yeah, she's always like, she's like, oh, there's a photograph, better go for the laugh. Teeth out, fag up the nose. 
Which was quite quite a feat, given that she didn't have false teeth. Was she? <laughs> Come on, Lee. It was horrific. <laughs> oh, God. Camera, get the pliers. Oh, not again, Bob. It's horrible, this. No, but she would always say. Was take she a false... really funny, your mum? She was. She was. Yeah, I thought she was really funny. I mean, she was a funny woman. My dad was a funny bloke. He was. He was. It was. It was. It was what. I always think about. You know, you hear so many stories about how people are trained to be doctors and solicitors, but they become comedians, and the parents are a bit disappointed to begin with. I'm the absolute opposite. My parents, luckily, they were both alive when I started doing this, so they, they saw me do it, which delighted them. Did it? Yeah, they loved it. But if I'd have said to them, look, in my early career, when I wasn't earning much money, if I'd have said to them, look, I'm going to jack this in and do be a doctor or... A... What would they have said? They'd have been very disappointed in me. <laughs> They'd have said, we have not brought you up with our cigarettes up our noses and our teeth out for you to blow all this on doing five years of medical college. You, you get your act together and you start growing up, young man, and, and you know, pull your trousers down and get people to, to laugh. But I wonder whether that timing, you do pick that up as a kid as well. Yeah, or that just that idea of performing and that rhythm and you're like, oh, my mum did a funny thing and that made everyone laugh. And I suppose, if, it, if that is the case, it's so embedded, I can't even remember. You know, yeah. remember but we grew up in a pub. My dad was the very popular owner of the pub. Well, he was the manager, but he was like the... That's very much part of the thing. You go and see the barman, and he would keep them entertained. He was a bit of a show-off. They met, my mum and dad, well, I don't think they met, but they certainly early on in their relationship did Guys and Dolls. They were in an amateur musical. So there's photographs of my mum and dad performing together. They were always... You know, my dad got decent reviews. I've read them of, from the local papers saying he was the standout actor in the show, and he, he, he liked to perform. You know, he, it was his thing. And he, I talk about it in my autobiography. He... When Dirty Den first left EastEnders, he wrote to EastEnders saying that he would like the part, but then proceeded to tell them all about his experience running a pub. <laughs> like he was applying for a job. Because he, he said, oh, I've done some amateur dramatics, but more importantly, I worked in a pub for Dirty and he told them the thing. Now, and like I, I mentioned in, in the book, I said, you know, a lot of people would see that as oh, sort of delusional... Slightly sad thing to do, you know. But the idea of, you know, um, you can't win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. His attitude was, well, why not? What do you lose by doing that? You can only gain, right? Yeah. And, of course, in this generation, that's, that's not just... See, that's the norm. Now, he just... He forget East End, he's just have his own soap. Yeah. He'd just go, right, I'm starting my own soap now, I'll be the barman. They don't want to be in it, you know. Now everyone's having a punt, aren't they? Everyone's just going, right, I think I'll uh, I think I'll have sex on screen. That'll get me famous. I think I'll hide the camera, pretend to hide the camera, and that should launch my career. I mean, now, applying for a job on EastEnders by telling him you run a pub seems a fairly normal <laughs> approach to getting an acting job. It, right. beats, it beats having sex in a hotel room and filming it and saying, can I get to be the barman in EastEnders, doesn't it? Which would be the route now. I think they literally teach that now at drama college. <laughs> If you want to be an EastEnders, don't forget you need to sleep with someone, sex video it, and then do the old green light like it's been done undercover, even though you're both in on it and there was a professional cameraman there. Look at the Kardashians. I just still find it. There's not... We've, we've, not, we've stopped even saying anymore. But wasn't she, she do a sex tape? Is that how she's yeah. famous? It's almost like, oh, yeah, but that's, that's completely normal now. It's been normalised so much. 
It's only seen by, by very young people as a positive. Yeah, but it worked. Mm. It worked. It's like, you know, you still get people who still believe that McDonald's must be the best restaurant because they sell the most unit. It works. <laughs> as opposed to, yeah, but it's awful. Yeah. It's like, doesn't that come into it? Doesn't quality come into it anymore? You know, but four years of training or having sex in the Premier Inn, which one are you going to choose? It's interesting when you talk about growing up in the pub, because I actually think in some ways we had quite similar experiences, even though they were very different on the surface. I grew up with performers. It was a lot of bohemian chaos. There were constantly yeah. actors coming around. So, so I can see how there were similarities with our backgrounds because it was like you were always on. And when you're running a pub, you're always on. And when yeah, you're... well, that's the main thing, the pub thing. You know? So yeah. growing up in a pub, there is a feeling that you are always on. You, don't, you, you are performing, I suppose. Even though I wasn't there, I didn't see that. I was upstairs. But you would have absorbed that. Yeah, of course you do. And you're... so you have... I remember my dad once, there was a, an incident where someone had brought their wife along who was quite shy and quiet, which were... I mean, that was unforgivable in that environment. But I, you know, she just didn't say very much. And this man got quite drunk, this director. And I remember he turned around at one point in the evening and said, you have contributed nothing this evening. <laughs> you have drunk our wine. And you've given you nothing. absorbed our anecdotes. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's interesting, this idea, though, that of always being on or doing a performance is... The key word is performance. Yeah. There are there are people that are always on, and they they will also they will irritate me as much as they'll irritate anybody else because you know when somebody is flicking a switch and doing a performance, or more, and it's just just them. Now, an example: I went to Sean Locke's memorial yesterday. Dave Johns got up, and we all spoke a little bit. And Dave got up and told this story. Dave Johns, who was in I Daniel Blake, and and he he told this story about he was a very good mate. Like there's quite a few of us that were very good mates of Sean, and Dave was one of them. And Dave told this story about how Sean, when he shared a flat with Dave, said, the only rule I've got for you for this whole Edinburgh Festival is that whenever I say wall, like that, I'm going to then pretend to punch you in slow motion and you've got to react wherever we are, right? Wherever we are. And Dave said, so he's in this nice posh seafood restaurant in Scotland and Sean went, wall, like that. And Dave went, oh, no, I'm not here, man. No, it's a posh rep. And he went, you've no choice. So he hits him in slow motion, and Dave gets up, slow motion, runs went, right out of the restaurant and out the door, right, and everyone's looking at him. Now, there's an example of some people might go, oh, you're always on, aren't you? Whereas actually the truth is Dave's always like that, and Sean's always like that. Sean and Dave are doing it not to... Not to amuse everybody else, but they need to amuse themselves. Yeah. And they don't care if there's any witnesses. Well, it helps that there's witnesses because then they amuse themselves even more. That's the key difference. Yes, some it's... people do it because they want to make themselves laugh or the person that they're very close, close to. And some people just want to sort of perform. Yeah. And that's why Sean was the funniest bloke I know or knew because he was, he was like that. Although he was a child sometimes. And I think he just wanted to... Do it for his own amusement. And that's the difference. If I'm, I like to think I'm like that. I might not be, but I don't know. But I like to think my motivation most of the time, not always, but most of the time, is to amuse myself. So if I'm doing my stand-up show, I go, 
what makes me laugh? Don't get me wrong, it doesn't make me laugh after 75 times of saying it, but it certainly does early on in the run, where I go, I'll just say what I think is funny and see if there's enough people who agree. And it's that simple. As opposed to, oh, I will perform to these people and I will give them something. Because it's like, I, you're not having anything. I'm just doing what I want and you can witness it. Hi. Oh, we've just been interrupted. We're doing a podcast. My son Arlo has just walked Hi, in. Hi, Arlo. I met you some time ago. This is my dog, Raymond. Oh. Raymond's What a... do you think? Cute. Do you want to give Ray a cuddle? The good thing about having a teenager in your house is you never know if they have woken up late or they're getting ready for bed early. Which one is it, Arlo? I've just woken up like an hour ago. Yeah. It's great, What's the time? They woke up at 2.45. To be yeah, fair to Arlo, that's yeah. very late for Arlo. But, yeah, you don't... You don't what time did you get to bed? Like, two-ish. Okay. Yeah. It's all changed because he's 18 now. Mm-hmm. That's what he likes, doesn't he? Grab yourself some food, I'll be We'll be through in a minute, Arlo. Arlo. I love him. He's great. Oh. Arlo is good. He makes his own rules. What a sweet boy. He does things for his own amusement, let me tell you. Does he? Oh, my God. Is he like you? He's, he's very similar to me when I was his age. Very similar. So much so that that can cause problems. Because I always say, don't do that. Because that's what I used to do. Yeah. It's pretty much what I'm, <laughs> the subtext of everything I say. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't be like me. It's very difficult for me because I basically messed about at school and failed everything. And then 10 years, you know, I often tell the story, but it is true that in one of my school reports, it said sooner or later, Lee will realise that joking around will get him nowhere in life. But it wasn't born out of some rebellious attitude of I will do it my own maverick way. It was born out of sheer laziness of not wanting to engage. Or was it ADHD? Discuss. But it wasn't invented then, was it? It was seen as daydreaming, (laughs) wasn't it? He's a daydreamer. You know, and they say, I go, yeah, but I still think I did all right despite of that, not necessarily because of that. The realisation that actually I have to knuckle down a bit and do some work. I didn't just run around for 10 years like the, what's that spinning thing, that cartoon, Tasmanian Devil. Mm. I didn't run around for 10 years with my ADHD and my jokes, just going, ah! running around, and then eventually just accidentally crashed into a comedy club and thought, oh, finally, it works in here, right? It's not how it worked. What happened was, I ran around being an idiot and joking around, blah, 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 going nowhere. And then when I decided to, to try and do something in comedy, realised, oh, I better learn mm. to actually sit down and do something because I went back to university during that period as a mature student. And that's where I had to hand stuff in, deadlines. And that probably gave me the training to go, right, if someone tells you you have to have a script in by Thursday, you better hand it in by Thursday. Maybe Friday. But you know what I mean? You don't. I'd, know, I'd never handed anything in on time until I'd gone back to uni. That's why I failed everything. But also, you're not frightened of new challenges, I think. And I think that's why... So, like, you're, you're doing this play, which I yes. want to mention, by the way. The Unfriend. And that's, that's obviously different... That's a very different discipline to stand-up, isn't it? Yeah. Because you're acting in a West End show. It's an established show. Which is, it's Mark... Gatiss and Stephen Moffat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mark was the director, Stephen was the writer. Yeah. And um, it's already been on with Rhys Shearsmith and Amanda Abingdon. And I went to see it and Francis Barber, they're the main three in it. And I was invited along very much to, would you like to take over? You know, and I obviously loved it, otherwise I wouldn't yeah. be doing it, you know. Um, but it was really good. In fact, it was so good, it was a bit worrying. It's like, oh dear, I would rather it had been quite good. 
I'd rather it been like a three star one because then <laughs> I go, I can perhaps keep those three star level, you know. But it was proper good. And I'm like, ah. So now you get worried, don't you? Can you follow them, you know? Um, but luckily, uh, they decided that, or for whatever reason, uh, both Reese and Amanda were going to stop doing it. And me and Sarah Alexander were going to take over. So suddenly I'm not the new boy. There's oh, two good. new people. Yeah. But Francis is staying. So I think that's the perfect combination. Yeah. You've got somebody who's staying, who knows what they're doing, but the majority of the main cast are new. Do you get quite actorish? Do you put a scarf on and... <laughs> no, I just saw you when you said that. It reminds <laughs> me of the late, great Bobby Ball when he, he said, uh, Ross Abbott, oh, tell you what, when he were a comic, it were like, all right, Bob. How you doing, Bob? You all right, Bob? Nice to see you, Bob. Did a play. Came back from the play. Oh, Robert, how are you? I mean, never has something been so exaggerated in the history of anecdotes, right? But, <laughs> but <laughs> I can't ever imagine Russ Abbott either going, hello, how are you, Robert? Nor can I imagine him going, uh, hey, you all right, Bob? How's it going? Because I don't even think he's from that part of the world. But, um, hey, talking about Bob, I went to his uh, unveiling of his statue. Oh, in, yeah. In, uh, well, he became your friend, obviously, because he played your dad. played my dad. And he was a proper mate, Bobby. And he was like, I used to watch him on television. I was so kid, sad for you when he died, Lee. It was, it was very sad. And he was, mm. I'm still in touch with Yvonne, his wife. And we've been up to, to Lytham. Uh, I always got to get this right. I used to hate it if you get it wrong. I used to say Lytham St. Anne's. There's Lytham and there's St. Anne's. And I think the whole area is called Lytham St. Anne's. But the people that are in Lytham mm. feel that they're in the nicer place than St. Anne's. So if I go to Lytham St. Anne's, it's Lytham. Not Lytham St. Anne's, it's Lytham. So, oh yeah, tell me, tell me again about Russ Abbott changing, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I went up for the unveiling of the statue. Brilliant bronze statue of Bob. But they've picked the, the iconic Bob of the permter, the tash, the rock on Tommy. The, 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 the braces are out in, the, in this bronze statue. But because he's got his perm and his tash, Somebody showed me this thing that was on social media, which really made me laugh, where they've just, they've put the picture of it next to, you know, the video for Hello by Lionel Richie, when the blind woman was sculpting his head. <laughs> and they've just written, finally, finally she finished it. <laughs> and when you see them side by side, you go, yeah, actually, that, I can see that. <laughs> finally, she's finished it. <laughs> But, um, oh, well, I'm really excited. I want to come and see the Unfriend. Oh, come and I see can't it. Wait. Yeah, come and see it. Middle middle of December it starts, all the way through to mid March. No, I think you'll be brilliant in that one. You're fantastic in Doctor Who. You're, you're a good little actor. Do you know what? Nobody mentions Doctor Who, so I'm very pleased you mentioned that. I had lunch uh, with Catherine Tate the other day, and she is Doctor Who. She's been in it so much, and she's coming back. Wasted on her. She doesn't know anything about Doctor Who. Oh, okay. I'd like. When she was doing Doctor, I'm like a childhood fan of Doctor. I'd ring her up and go, so, um, where are you today? Yeah, I'm, I'm in Cardiff filming it. Oh, yeah, I'll try and play it cool, you know. What, uh, what are you filming? What's happening? I was like a little child. What are you, what are you filming? She go, oh, I don't know, the, uh, I don't know why she turned into Frankie Howard. Oh, yeah, shut your face. Go, oh, I don't, uh, I don't know, the, the, the silver ones are after us today. The what? You know, the silver ones with the ears. The Cybermen. 
Yeah, yeah, they're coming after us today. I'm like, what a waste. The dustbins with the plungers on the red there, that we did that last week. It's like, wasted, completely wasted. She doesn't know about the show. I'll mention it to her. You know, I'll say, oh, of course, back in the... Oh, was he a doctor, was he? Unbelievable. Someone like me, childhood fan. What do I do? you a real fan? Ten minutes and an Amazon delivery driver kills me. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that. Perhaps it wasn't Amazon. Other, other instant delivery uh, people are unscrupulous as well. Uh, but yeah, so it was a, a satirical look at the, uh, the way we all buy things. It was some right? of your finest work, but then well, I love all your work, Lee. Well, thank you. I do. Even when you're on the NTA Awards. Yeah. And... Holding up a, a trophy going, that looks like a sex object, doesn't it? There is a tendency, and this isn't anyone personally, there is a tendency now for those award ceremonies to feel very scripted and oh. so corporate. Oh, and also you're thanking a lot of people, aren't you? But it was just so... I felt like when you came on, I thought, oh, good, there's a real person. Yeah, well, also, there is a lot of... The truth of the matter is they're taken quite seriously. I mean, I shouldn't be so cynical, but the tears. Do you know what I mean? And anyone that's thanking God, thank, I want to thank God. I mean, it doesn't happen too much. It happens a lot in the Oscars. What was it Hal Berry said? Thanks, thank God for using her as a vessel. You know, so thank God, love. There was one in full chance. There was four nominees. You weren't that surprised, were you? You can't cry. It's not like you were picked out of a... You, you didn't win the lottery, did you? Then you can scream and say, thank God. But you're sitting, you've, you've known for months there's a one in four chance. You should be fairly prepared that it could be you, you know. And so, and if they thank God, you just go, yeah. I mean, because that's what God wants, isn't it? God wants to get the message out there to everybody that he exists. And what better way than the bloke that presents that quiz show in the afternoon? <laughs> He'll do it. He'll know it, won't he? Because the old uh, image, image on the toast isn't working with Marmite. <laughs> That wasn't clear enough. I'll get the bloke who does the quiz in the afternoon to get it out of there. Yeah, don't, don't get, don't get like the, one of the presidents or one of the world leaders doing it. No, 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 no. We don't want too many people. That's what the thing about the David Icke thing I always found fascinating. He said, yeah. he, he felt that there was something driving him. Why else would he have been so successful if he wasn't there to give a message? Yeah. I go, yeah, of course. God wanted to use the vessel of the reserve goalkeeper for Coventry and the bloke that presented the snooker. I mean, that's how you get to a mainstream audience, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's what I find fascinating. To, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a bit of... We all know it's silly nonsense, yeah. but people can get a bit overwhelmed yeah. and, and think... Did Tara not go with you to that award ceremony? She didn't go to that one. I took Louis and his girlfriend. I saw Louis. Yeah, so that was nice. I thought, I'll take them along and they'll... But it's interesting, because I thought... Like, we, when we were their age, 16, we... We would be like, oh my God, it's him off that programme and I don't believe it. They're so blase. Are they? Because like, they don't watch telly. They're watching other things. They, I was going, every nomination that came up, I'd go, heard of them? Nah. Ever seen it? No. They would, every now and again, they go, oh yeah, I've seen that one, yeah. Because yeah. it's on Netflix. But they don't, they're different. We might as well have taken them to the, you know, the annual sausage awards or something. <laughs> you know. But our generation would have been overwhelmed yeah. by the fame because... Red carpets, flashy lights. Yeah. We didn't see them. We weren't... We might have seen a clip of it from the Oscars, but the Oscars wasn't live on telly. It was a, a news report, wasn't it? Mm. Or... I can't remember 
award ceremonies. Was the BAFTAs on when we were a kid? Maybe. But I'll tell you what, there wasn't an award ceremony every two weeks, was there? Yeah. So the kids now, they've got access to it all. They see it all the time. What? They're seeing someone on the red carpet. That person on the red carpet, they've seen probably having a bit of nucky in the hotel room when they were promoting their new album. This is nothing. See what the stars are like when they're outside their jobs. Outside their jobs. I've seen them having a poo. She put it on Instagram <laughs> to promote some toilet paper. She was, you know, it's not. But then I also think your kids are very, because you and Tara, you've always had a real line between your performing life and your family life, I think. And the very fact that you have a performing name, I think it's very telling. It's funny that, because when people say, I have had people say to me like, they know my name mm. is McKillop and mm. still ask the question. So is, is Millie, my daughter, is Millie, Millie Mac? And I go, like, if I was Coco the Clown, do you think she'd be called <laughs> Millie the Clown? What, what a strange thing to say. Of course not. <laughs> what a strange, strange, you know, would you go up to Harrison Ford? And go, uh, are, you, are your kids called, uh, is it Brenda Solo? Is that, is that what your child's called? Go, Why? Well, because you're, you, you know, you're Anne Solo, aren't you? So I thought maybe you'd use the solo bit. Of course not. You know, don't forget my great granddad was Billy Mac. I did the thing yeah. about it on Who Do You Think You Are? Who's so, a comic. But I still chose to take that Mac thing. In my head, it was just as simple as McKillop is a mouthful and nobody knows how to spell it and... And it's an unusual name. And it's just Mac, it's quick. I didn't think anything of it, but actually maybe there was a subconscious thing going on, going, I'm not going on as me. There must be truth in it because I won't play my hometown. Really? Yeah, because I know them all. I can't get up and say, uh, like, hello, I'm up here doing this. How are you? And they go, yeah, we know you. You were, I was at school with you. Remember when you wet your pants? I didn't wear my pants, but I'm using that as an example. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 there's, there's no, you can't pretend. There's some pretense going on, isn't there? Even though I'm saying you just go on and have a laugh as much as you can. Not in a panel game. Weirdly, I would go on a panel game. I do a live tour with Rob and David, often would I lie to you. And we're just chatting, it's just improvised. I possibly would do that in my hometown, because that's just me. Whereas to some degree, stand-up is fake. And yeah. so is, is acting, obviously. Yeah. So I'd struggle to do a play or stand up in my hometown, whereas I might, and it's only a might, yeah. do something where it's more just the real me, if that makes sense. Because then you're not putting on this facade where people go, but don't put on the facade, mate. Yeah. I'm still quite basic in the way I look at things. I just go, if I'm in a play in my hometown and I'm going, I'm here to solve the murder. They go, <laughs> no, you're not. You're here to earn some money because we know you from school. This podcast is sponsored by Pet Plan, who help keep the nation's dogs happy and healthy. There was so much to think about when I got my dog Raymond. Toilet training, grooming, food, and just how many belly rubs can one woman reasonably be expected to give to a Shih Tzu every day? But one thing I've never had to worry about is paying for veterinary care, because I decided to insure Raymond with Pet Plan, who are the UK's number one pet insurance provider. Oh, don't get jealous, Raymond. Of course you're still my number one. Just a tad on the high maintenance side. Terms, conditions, and excesses apply. Pet Plan is a trading name of Allianz Insurance PLC. Lee, in a little change of gear, we should let you go because I want to go and see. Your dogs are in the other room currently. I've just seen one of your dogs outside. 
Arlo, your son has let one of the dogs out. Oh dear. And is he looking through the window? It's, no, he's gone back in now. Was it Silver? Was it Labrador? Was it Ludo? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ludo knows that this is the space. That the chair you're sat on now is his sofa. Now, before anyone thinks, listen to Mr. Posh Balls with his got his dog sofa. You can describe that. You can describe yourself that sofa. That is not for a human being. The dog is it? sofa is an orange. It's tiny. I mean, how big is that? I mean. Your dog is the smallest dog I've ever seen. And on that sofa, he looks like Digby. Do you remember Digby? The biggest dog in the world. Ray, I don't know if Ray's always like this, but Ray looks a bit shell-shocked when he saw them both. Is that Ray's demeanour? Yeah, I've raised him to be quite neurotic. And I've, I sort of have raised him, the relationship is a bit... You say you raised him to be neurotic, you mean he lived with you? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm, I think you've chosen exactly the right dogs for you. And I love those dogs. I want you to tell me before we go, there was something I heard a story you tell, and I loved it so much. And it's about your friendship with Sean, and it does involve dogs. And it was in the last few weeks of his life, actually. Do you know what? I told this at the memorial yesterday, and I thought, can I tell this story? And I just thought, I will. And bear in mind, his kids were there, and his wife. <laughs> but I know them really well, and I know that, you know, there was loads of comics getting up. So I thought, yeah, I'll tell it. So, no, I was... I went to see Sean, you know, very close to the end of his life, like within a, a couple of weeks. Not a couple of days, as I said yesterday, for some reason, at the memorial. So I went to see him two days before. Tara went, no, you didn't. And I don't know where that came from. I felt like it was so close to the end of his life, I suddenly found myself saying two days. Well, actually, it was probably about three weeks. But you know that thing where you go, oh, I saw so-and-so last week. I say last week, it was two years ago. Mm. Have you ever done that? Yeah, you know, that feeling of, it, it, to you it feels... So raw because it was so close to the end of his life. Anyway, I went to see him just before he died. He was in and out of consciousness, obviously, and he was, there was a moment of silence and the, the sunlight hit his face. It came through the crack of a window, sort of quite a bright sunlight hit his face. At exact moment that a dog very gently started barking in the distance. And it was one of those, and I'll, I'll do the voice because one of my party tricks is I can do dog in a distance. So, that, so there was a sort of... More gentle than that. It was very gentle, very distant. That's the point I'm making. And Sean opened his eyes and I genuinely believed there was just the way the dog barked and the way the sunlight hit his face. I thought he was going to say something profound. I just had this real moment. And he went, shut up, you cunt. And I, I, <laughs> and I didn't know, <laughs> and I still don't know, if he was doing it because he meant it, doing it, or doing it to get a laugh out of me. It's only 48 hours later I did a thing, hang on, there's a third option. It might be me he's aiming it at. You know what I mean? Are you still here? Type comment. But that's why I loved him. I loved him because sometimes you never knew. You never knew if it was for his own amusement, for the amusement of others, or no amusement. He just was saying something because he felt it. He just always struck me as so hilarious, Sean Locke, but there was an integrity there. Well, this is what I was thinking yesterday. I was thinking, what is it about Sean that I love so much? And I realised what it was. When anyone ever dies in showbiz, a phrase gets popped out, and that is, nicest man in showbiz. You hear it all the time. A nicest woman in showbiz. And I've heard this phrase a lot, even with people who haven't died. Oh, I worked with so-and-so, nicest man in television. 
But it's so easy to be nice because you get paid well and you get a lift in a car and the food's free. What isn't there to be nice about? Everyone can be nice in that environment. Mm. What is a lot harder is to be the most genuine person in service. And what that means is, if you're in a bad mood, not afraid to be in a bad mood. If you're feeling like you want to act like a child, act like a child. Whatever he was feeling, he would be without any pretense. So you knew that every action was genuine. And I know people in this job, and they've literally said it to me, where I've said, look, don't worry, I know you're in a bad mood about this script, but I'm the script writer, I can change it. And I've, I've had a person say to me, oh, oh, don't worry, I'm not really in a bad mood. I just did that because it makes them know that I'm not, I'm not going to take any crap. So basically, they're pretending to be something they're not. Every time Sean said anything, it's because he meant it, whatever that was. So you knew all the time there was a genuine thing about, a genuine expression of emotion. And it's so rare in this job you get that. You know, people will be fakely nice or sometimes fakely unpleasant or sometimes fakely angry or sometimes fakely laugh. Is fakely a word? I've said it four times now. But everything is real. That's all you want, isn't it? In a world of falseness, where everything's false, when someone is genuine. So when Dave Johns and him are in the restaurant and he goes, whoa, you know he genuinely is going to amuse himself for doing that for nobody else's benefit because it's all real and genuine. And you don't realise until you meet someone like Sean just how fake everybody is, including all of I mean, all of us. We're all putting on these layers all the time of falseness anyway. But in showbiz, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's free. I talk about this in Wood Alighty when people say, is it hard to lie? Oh no, lying's easy. The hard bit is, 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 I mean, we spend our lives telling lies, don't we? Mm. Lovely to see you, you know. Not always lovely to see you, is it? I know I said that to you when you came today, but I, it was lovely to see you. But, but I think it's interesting because I suppose part of your job as a comic, or should be, yeah. is that you tell us uncomfortable truths that we all tend not to share. Um, and I think at its purest, that's what it should be. And you are a bit like that. There's a fine line, isn't there, between honesty and lacking in social graces, though? For example, if the dog weed's on the floor, I'd happily be honest and say, you need to clear that up. Had mm. you weed on the sofa accidentally, I probably wouldn't mention it. I didn't last time. I was actually a bedwetter. Were you? I was a bedwetter. Me? Have I not told you my bedwetting story? No. The worst one was... Very common with ADHD. I believe so, mm. yeah. And then, because uh, what you do is you wake up in the night thinking, I need the toilet, and then you think about monkeys we playing the xylophone, and then you think, you forget what it is you woke up for. <laughs> Well, you know, you've wet the bed. I'm thinking about monkey playing the xylophone now, yeah. But I went to the Isle of Man as a school trip, first ever school trip. I was about, I don't know, I'm going to say eight. Quite young to go on a school trip, but it was the 1970s. I don't even think the teachers went. And uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we went there and my mum had a private word with the teacher. So look, he's very nervous because he wets the bed. And, and so... And I know he knew because he never actually addressed it with me, but this nice guy, remember, kept me by at the end of school and said, kept me back and said, look, is there anything you're nervous about when you go to the Isle of Man? I'm like, no, no, I was trying to front it out. Mm. He says, because if you are, you don't, you don't need to worry, everything will be fine. He sort of put me at my ease. I don't know how that's going to help. It's not me wearing the bed. So we go to the Isle of Man. This poor man, who's, who's the only one who's been told, look after him, the poor lad, poor lad is a bedwetter. 
says to all the kids on the on the thing, I don't know if you know, but on the Isle of Man, there, there's a big thing about fairies, right? Every time you go over a bridge on the Isle of Man, you're supposed to wave to the fairies. I'm trying to show off. No such thing as fairies. I'm not waving to the fairies, right? So the teacher decides to play a practical joke, right? The teacher takes the shoes off everyone in the hotel when they're asleep, all the other kids, ties them in a really bad knot so it's impossible to unknot them, and hides them in my cupboard. Shuts the door, right? So in the morning, all the kids, sir, sir, the, the shoes have gone missing. And, I think and they, they had, all look the same. I think they had one pair of shoes between all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and they all look the same, of course they did. They were all sensible, just sensible shoes, yeah. But they haven't got any shoes. Where's my shoes, sir? Where's my shoes, sir? Well, I don't know. We better go and look for the shoes, haven't we? Yeah. Because you know, uh, you know what the fairies said. If you don't wave to the fairies, they'll 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 play a trick on you or something like that, right? Perhaps that perhaps because Lee didn't wave to the fairies that they've stolen your shoes, and he keeps this going to all the kids. And meanwhile, I'm fast asleep in my bed, right? Knock, knock, knock. All the kids come into my room because they've been told there's a chance the fairies have hidden the shoes in my room. Because the teacher snuck in and put the shoes in my, in my cupboard. So they all opened the cupboard and all the shoes piled high, knotted together. And of course, some of these idiots are believing it. See? It's the fairies, that, you idiot. It's your fault for not waving. Meanwhile, one of them sits at the end of my bed and I'm mortified because I, they think I've, I've either stolen the shoes or I'm responsible for the shoes, right? Because of the fairies. Meanwhile, I then suddenly go, oh God, I've wet the bed. To which one of the kids at the end of the bed suddenly goes, Sir, Sir Lee's bed's wet. <laughs> and I've got all, oh, it's like a nightmare. I've got everyone in my school class in the bedroom looking at me with one of the kids going, He's wet in the bed. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. And they're already annoyed because I've nicked the shoes. Or they think I've nicked the shoes, or the fairy's done it and I'm responsible. It's like, it's like an absolute dream sequence nightmare, isn't it? The teacher, He's now having a bigger problem than I am because his job is to protect me. And he's gone, oh God, what have I done? I brought all the kids into his room. <laughs> I've literally couldn't have done this any worse. And he goes, I remember his face. I look at him and he goes, the last time I'd spoken to him, he'd gone, don't worry, son, I'll look after you. You'll be all right with me. Cut to every kid in the room and I went, <laughs> oh, and he's planted some stolen goods on me. And at which point <laughs> he goes, Right, everyone out of the room! <laughs> Get everyone out of the room quickly! And I give him the look as if to go, you. You had one job. <laughs> one job. <laughs> and that is bedwetting. That's what it does to you. Lee, I have so loved. I know we didn't get to go outside for our walk, and I do love our little walks outside. I do, but it's raining, so what can you do? You can't put Ray out in the, in the rain, can you? Well, I'm sad we didn't head out, but I've really loved chatting to you, and I'm so happy that um, I'm going to come see your play, The Unfriend, and yeah. I'm so happy that you've got Tilly. She well, has very good energy. The, look, at the, look at this, three podcasts with you. Have you. Has anyone done three of these? No. I do the first one, no dog. Second one, a dog. Third one, two dogs. Please stop asking me to come on, because the way this is going, I'm going to end up like Cruella de Vil. Are you going to come in next time and I'm going to have a big fur coat on going... Well, I used to have 300, and now I'm down to 101. You know, there's, there's just, it endlessly grows. Maybe I can think of something else. Maybe you could have some, all I ask is keep calling it walking the dog, not having a kid, because I'm not having any more. <laughs> Telling you now, walking the kids, and every time you see me, I have to have another kid, just for you to have content. 
Will you say goodbye to Ray? Bye, Ray. It's been lovely seeing you. You are honestly the most incredible looking dog. I love, I love Ray because that is not a head that fits on that body. And that's why I love him because the head is a lot smaller than the body, isn't it? In a good way, in an interesting way. Looks like, you remember when the witch melts in The Wizard of Oz and then spreads? When, she, when Ray lies down, you're looking at me like I, it's your child. And I've said, and I've said, I've seen better looking kids. <laughs> That, what I love about Ray is when, he's, when he lies down, the whole body spreads so much. And I love that. It's like I'm melting Dorothy. The whole body spreads and it's lovely, but the head stays in the middle. It's wonderful. It's like his head is the island and the body becomes the sea. I love your dog. I, I love him. Ray's a beautiful dog. He's got a great expressive face. I still can't remember what he is. It's Shih Tzu. A Bujon Shit. A shitty bruiser. What's he called? A Bujon Shit. What is he called? I booze and shit. <laughs> oh no, that's my, that's my autobiography. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed that episode of Walking the Dog. We'd love it if you subscribed and do join us next time on Walking the Dog wherever you get your podcasts.